Welcome to the Cranberry Chronicles, a podcast where we'll be discussing all things cranberries, including where they come from, why we love them, and how they love us back. We'll be delivering a fresh science-backed perspective on health, wellness, and nutrition trends translated into a language we can all use and understand. We're so excited to be sitting down with a variety of food, health, and industry experts for in-depth conversations that we hope will enhance the work that you do and that it will also inspire you to live a healthier life. So whether you're a registered dietitian, a health professional, a wellness enthusiast, or just a cranberry connoisseur, we welcome you. I'm your host, Bonnie Taubdix, and you'll find me on Instagram at Bonnie Taubdix and at BTD Media or my website, betterthandieting.com. Well, June is Brain Health Awareness Month, and today we'll be discussing all the ways we can improve brain function through our diets at any age and throughout our lives. But the month of June is actually just a good excuse to have this important evergreen conversation. So whether we're looking to increase concentration or decrease senior moments, providing our brains with the best fuel to help us stay sharp and focused could be right in our supermarkets. Foods such as fish, tea, And of course, our favorite cranberries have been shown to improve memory, increase the tension and prevent the risk of dementia. Here to talk more about this topic is Professor of Nutrition and Behavior at the University of Leeds, Dr. Louise Dye. Louise is a chartered health psychologist and associate editor of Nutritional Neuroscience and former editor of the European Journal of Nutrition. Her research interests include Functional Foods for Well-Being, Stress Management, Mental Health, and Cognitive Function or Decline. She's interested in how the modification of glycemic response and cardiovascular parameters by diet can impact cognition. She is also co-chair of ILSI Global and president of ILSI Europe, where she has served on five of their expert groups, including natural plant-based ingredients and cognitive function. Louise also works on dietary change, such as how to increase fiber intake and sustainability, two topics we all certainly need to be looking more closely at. Welcome, Louise. It is so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you very much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here too. Well, during our conversation last week, you said something that really stood out to me. You mentioned that when studying cognition, We may see changes in cognitive function as a result of dietary change more readily when we look at children and the elderly because their brains are undergoing age-related changes, but we may not see the same response to nutritional intervention in young, healthy adults because they're already performing at their peak. So can you tell us more about cognitive function and how it changes over one's life? This is the idea that, you know, we don't perform the same all the time. And we all know ourselves if we have a late night, the next day we don't feel like we're performing at the same level that we would have done if we'd have had a great night's sleep. So things like that, sleep, stress, etc., we can see and we can feel the impact that they have on our ability to do our job the next day. So we know that there are fluctuations. Those fluctuations in our performance might be enhanced by having a cup of coffee. You know, if you if you feel overtired, people take a coffee because it's a pick-me-up. It helps them to concentrate. And there's really good evidence that things like caffeine are beneficial for attention in the short term. 
If we think about it, and that's on a day-to-day basis, if we think about it across your lifespan then, so children going to school, and we know from research that kids who have breakfast tend to do better than kids who don't because they're not bothered by feelings of hunger during the morning. And that's, you know, the difference between having energy and having no energy. If we want our kids to do well at school, then we probably want to prepare them well for those days in the classroom. And if we're thinking about them increasing their intellectual capacity, you know, maintaining their performance and growing that, we want to get them to the highest level they possibly can be before they reach adulthood. And then we'll have a period during adulthood where our performance is pretty much at its peak. And then If we're thinking about older age, and here I mean actually after about 50, cognitive performance might start to decline. And that's what we call age-related cognitive decline. Doesn't happen to everyone, different trajectories for different people. And therefore, it's really important for us to start to understand what might influence that trajectory that we're on. So how can we prevent cognitive decline? And ultimately, how can we make sure that as few people as possible suffer from diseases like dementia, which I think more and more people are becoming aware of? So very important then that we improve cognition while we can, maintain it in adulthood, and then prevent cognitive decline. And there is a little bit of evidence now that's growing that suggests that what we eat can actually play a role in that cognitive function across the life course. Well, of course, this is something that I have always been interested in, food and mood and vice versa, how our moods affect foods, the foods we choose and how the foods we choose affect our moods. Disturbing that you consider older age 50 and beyond, but we could talk about that another time. I know that your interests lie in um, stress management and especially after the past couple of years, I think we could all benefit from a few stress management tips. So, so how does our diet play a role in stress management specifically? And I'm going to be taking notes on this one. So stress is very much in the eye of the beholder. You know, what's stressful for me may not be stressful for you. So it's a very personal experience. We also know that if we put people under conditions of stress, some of their food choices will change. So we might choose food that is comforting or rewarding, not necessarily good for us, but things that make us feel good. So, you know, foods from your childhood. I kind of want to avoid saying things like chocolate, but, you know, there are foods that have positive associations. But there may also be other things like tea, for example. You know, something happens in the household. You know, what does your mom say? I'll put the kettle on. Yeah, there are associations with drinking a cup of tea and relaxing. But there's also components in tea that might actually aid that relaxation, not just the ritual of putting on the kettle and sitting down and taking five and having a deep breath, but also some of those components that we find in tea, part of the polyphenol family, are actually beneficial and aid relaxation. So they can be stress relieving in of of themselves. We also have to try and separate out that psychological experience of having a cup of tea and going through the ritual and taking five from the actual biological activity of the foods that we've consumed. 
So it's it's teasing those things apart. And very often in a real world situation, it will be a combination of both that have that impact on how you actually feel. Yeah, I think that the whole area of comfort foods is fascinating. Again, something we have all visited even more so in the past few years. And, you know, I, I also always thought it was interesting that when you don't feel well, let's say if you have the flu, even if you're a steak lover, you don't feel like having steak. It's really more like carbs that you go for. And I think it has a lot to do with how the body breaks down foods and it doesn't really want to work very hard. Yes, again, that's, you know, the physiological end of it. There's also the psychological end of it. But I also find that carbs, there's something very comforting about carbs. And particularly, I find in fruits, that fruits actually help us feel more comforted. And I know that you also know that there's a connection between fruits and brain health. So could you tell us a little bit more about brain health as it relates to certain fruits? Sure. So there's a very good recommendation, and that's eat a rainbow, isn't it? So when yeah. we talk to people about what they should eat, one of the one of the really easy to follow recommendations is to eat a rainbow. And what we're saying there is eat lots of colourful fruits and vegetables, and that the polyphenols that give the colour to those fruits, particularly, are the anthocyanins. Those are the things that make our berries red, if you like, or our blueberries blue. When we look at anthocyanin-rich food, we've written a few systematic reviews of this, and what we find is that anthocyanin-rich food can preserve verbal memory in older adults. So one of the things that, that happens as you get older is you get more forgetful. Verbal memory would be things like remembering what you were going to the shops for. And I know I said before that you know age-related cognitive decline starts at 50. In a study that we did with Concord grape juice, we recruited what we called middle-aged women who were aged between 40 and 50, who had jobs to do, lots of things to juggle, multitasking, you know, young kids, et cetera. And what we found was just between the age of 40 and 50, you lose one word from your memory. But, you know, one word, that doesn't feel very significant, does it? But, you know, hey, if you've gone around the supermarket and you come home and you go, right, where's the washing powder? That one word is a bit of a pain, yeah? The fact that you've forgotten the thing that you most went for. So, you know, if we can preserve verbal memory in our middle and older aged adults and remember the washing powder, et cetera, then that's a good thing. Lots of the evidence shows that anthocyanin-rich foods, fruits, exactly, berries, help to prevent that memory decline. The other thing that we've shown is that anthocyanin-rich food can also improve executive processes in healthy adults. So an executive process is a kind of decision-making aspect. So it's quite a complex aspect of your cognitive performance. So when people talk about cognition, it's lots of different things. It's memory, it's attention, but it's also this executive function. An executive function is kind of making a strategy, making a plan to do something, and then following through that plan. And that's really complex. And what they've shown in healthy adults is that anthocyanin-rich fruits can improve that executive function, which is great because that's one of those really difficult tasks. Whereas when we said before that people who are healthy adults generally are performing at their peak, this is one of the things where we really can show a difference. In terms of children, anthocyanin-rich 
fruits can increase attention performance. So that other aspect of cognition, so memory, remembering things, executive function, making strategies, but attention is kind of that concentration, being able to focus. And quite a few studies based on blueberries, based on grape juice and on other sources of anthocyanins have shown that children who eat those foods can concentrate better. Well, so, you know, this really underscores how fruits like like berries, blueberries, cranberries, strawberries, that, that at any age, that it's really important. And I think that, you know, these are age old words that we're using, you know, as moms, I know always mm-hmm. to try to have my kids, you know, have a bowl of fruit when they came home from school. I just think that it's just so important that any age, whether you're middle age and healthy or younger or older, it just seems like this is just so, so important. So all of these motherly, the motherly advice we've been giving all these years, it really does matter. And science actually proves it really fascinating. You know, speaking of supermarket shopping, and this is why I always encourage making a list. So thank you. I I really do make my list because I'm afraid I'm going to forget those one or two or 10 words. Does the form in which we consume a food like cranberries, for example, make a difference in terms of their polyphenol intake? Uh, You know, does it matter if they're fresh or frozen, canned or dried? And could you also explain a little bit about polyphenols? I know we talked about anthocyanins, but can you talk a little bit about polyphenols as well? So polyphenols is the overarching family of bioactive compounds that can be found in fruits and vegetables. Anthocyanins is that particular group within that polyphenol family that give the berries their red colour. We can also talk about flavonoids and flavanols and flavanones. There are lots and lots of different types of polyphenols. Simply put, I think you could say that, you know, cocoa flavanols that are there in caffeine have been shown to be associated with cognitive functions like attention. And we said that, you know, having a cup of coffee kind of perks you up, helps you focus again. Isoflavones, which are another group found in soy, also have impact on cognition, but they also have impact on hormones. So things like phytoestrogens, if you like. Whereas the anthocyanins are very much about giving the red color and giving certain sorts of beneficial bioactive effects that have been associated with anthocyanins. I I always think that taking food in its natural form, so within a food matrix, feels somehow more natural and might be better. So we know that if you get omega-3s from fish, it tends to be more beneficial than if you just have the omega-3 supplement. There's something about its bioavailability that might be better. We don't know that quite so much with things like cranberries because we haven't really analysed the difference between fresh, frozen, canned or dried or even powdered. But I think there is there will be other things that you get from the fruit when you eat it in its fresh form or in its whole form. So fibre from the skin, for example, and from the fruit fibres that might also help with its bioactive effects. And when you buy supplements, you don't necessarily know how much of those beneficial bioactives have been retained in the supplement. And, you know, we're working in terms of making people have a healthy diet. That healthy diet should be achievable by making the right sort of choices from the foods rather than having to resort to supplementation. 
Yes, I totally agree with you. I always believed in food first. And I think that when it comes to food, it's also what's available during the course of the year. That's why I sometimes like to rely on frozen food or canned food or even dried when it comes to cranberries, because some foods just may not be available all year long. So we may have to really take a closer look at how these different food forms could affect us in in different ways. So yes, frozen food and canned food can be just as good as fresh. There's no doubt. And a lot of these foods are actually typecast to certain seasons where like cranberries, for example, we often think of them in November, but I think of them every time I make a salad using dried cranberries on my salad and canned cranberries could be available all year long. And yes, as you're saying, frozen foods, frozen foods in some cases could even be healthier because they're picked at peak and then they're frozen as opposed to sitting on a shelf for a long time. So I agree with you with that. And, you know, the research on food like cranberries is really just getting started, especially research on polyphenols and the benefits that it has on the brain. We we just heard about a new study that was published in Frontiers in Nutrition from Dr. David Vazbar and the University of East Anglia in England, where they found a connection between cranberries and memory in older adults. Can you help us understand just a little bit of what is within the cranberry that could be interacting with the brain? It was a really nice study that was very, very well controlled. They they seem to have really great experimental procedures. They managed to recruit 70 people who were quite old, aged between 50 and 80. And these were super healthy people, you know, so they underwent a 12-week intervention where they consumed powdered cranberries or a placebo, really important that they have that placebo so that they could show a difference from a placebo. Very, very important to have those kind of high levels of control. That's what you call a good quality study. And we need to have more and more of those really good quality studies. What they showed was that they, the people in the study who had the cranberries for the 12 weeks after 12 weeks were better able to retain, to remember details in a figure that they had seen after a short delay. So that suggests that this was a memory task where they had processed quite a bit of information. Some of those measures that they took of brain imaging and of other biomarkers didn't show much of a difference. And so it's very difficult, though, to relate measures that you take in the periphery. So, you know, you measure something in someone's blood and you try and infer about something going on in the brain. It's very difficult to make those kind of connections. So it doesn't surprise me that they didn't show a relationship there. But they did see some brain imaging that was correlated with performing at a high level anyway. But it's nicely indicative of and compatible with some of the research that I told you about just now around anthocyanins being associated with improved memory in older adults. No, it's always so exciting. I'm, I know that you get excited about this stuff, but so do I. Whenever there is research that connects healthy eating to how we function, whether it's brain function or how we could improve cholesterol levels, I mean, whatever it might be, I always love when they show that there's a connection to food and, of course, healthy habits. When we think about memory, we often think about diseases that cause cognitive decline or that result in cognitive decline like dementia. And unfortunately, this is a disease that really has no cure that we know of now, but it is becoming more uncommon or more 
spoken of. So it makes it essential for us to look at prevention. What are a few lifestyle changes that we could make to potentially lessen the risk of these neurodegenerative diseases like dementia? What what do you think about that? Yeah. So, So I think you're right, Bonnie. We are more aware of dementia, partly because people are living longer. So people are becoming very old, you know, and we're also better at recognizing it and diagnosing it. But like you say, we don't have treatments that will cure it. We have some drugs that will slow the progression. And it may well matter when you start taking those drugs in terms of how much it slows the progression. And there are some genetic predispositions to certain sorts of dementia. But there's an awful lot you can do with your lifestyle. So we know that people who are obese at midlife might be more likely to develop cognitive decline and dementia later in life. And that if you have type 2 diabetes, your relative risk of vascular dementia is about one and a half times greater. So that suggests to me that it's people in their 40s and 50s who need to be doing something now to improve their lifestyle in order to reduce the risk of dementia or either Alzheimer's or vascular dementia in later life or even just mild cognitive decline. And those sorts of things will be things like reducing obesity so that you reduce your risk of type 2 diabetes. It will be things like exercising so that you are more likely to be insulin resistant because people who have more muscle are more insulin resistant. And it will be, you know, maintaining a healthy lifestyle. The other thing I think that's also important is that, you know, that physical activity, but also the cognitive exercise. So, you know, we kind of say use it or lose it, don't we? You know, socializing, learning new things, being stimulated, being engaged in one's environment. Yeah. Those sorts of things about staying young, keeping an interest in life and, you know, going out, walking, keeping a healthy body weight, all those kind of things will all play a role. And I think they play a cumulative role. So it's not like you can just do one of those things. You need to have a whole package of healthy lifestyle. You know, I think so sadly, and and I'm sure that you would agree with this, that there is a tendency to try to put out a fire instead of trying to prevent it to begin with. And what you're talking about is thinking about these things that could happen later on in life, but earlier on in life, thinking about them and acting on it, like eating better, which sounds like such a yawn statement, but it really is so true. And I think that, you know, this is something that we could talk about that has been around for, you know, for ages, they'll eat a healthy diet, eat a balanced diet. But now we see that science is actually proving that this makes a difference. And we can look at media headlines, you know, everyone's always looking for the fountain of youth and how to stay young, whether it's, you know, skincare and what we could do in that respect or what we could ingest to make such a difference. But I think you brought up some interesting things. Like, what do you think about even, you know, doing word puzzles and, you know, reading more, learning more? Can that also help brain function? Sure. And I think, you know, it's it's about that combination of things, isn't it? It's about staying stimulated, engaging with other people. I think people have found it really di- one of the, one of the things that's happened during COVID is that people who fared worse have been people who've been alone. 
you know, that loneliness and that lack of social contact has had a much bigger effect than if you've got a partner or someone to talk to or you've been engaged in social networks. There's something wonderful about being able to lose yourself in a book and to do something that is, you know, mentally stimulating. But it's all about balance, isn't it? And it's about everything in moderation and um, having variety in your life. And I'd also say variety in your diet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I, I really appreciate your comments about this because obviously we focus on diet, but it's not just about the diet. It's so much more beyond diet. And I think that, uh, you know, thank you, first of all, so much for coming on here and talking with us today. And if I had to, you know, sort of summarize this or put out a message to our listeners, it would be, you know, do something that you like, do things you like in your life. If you don't like to do word puzzles, don't force yourself to do word puzzles to help your cognition, whether it's dancing, connecting with someone, reading with someone, writing a letter to someone. I mean, it doesn't matter, but of course, eating a variety of foods and not just a rainbow, even white foods like potatoes and mushrooms could be healthy. And I think that we also have to be careful about the headlines that we read and see who is writing them to, to know what's best for us. So I guess we go back to all of those, have a balanced diet, eat your veggies, eat your fruits and get out and take a walk. So thank you. Any, any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I think there is something really nice about fruit, isn't there? That is, it's sweet, it's healthy. It's one of those things we combine with lots of things. And it gives us, a, you know, looking at some of this evidence gives us a reason to engage and to consume some of those foods. And it's my view is always everything in moderation and nothing in excess. Sounds like uh, sage advice to me. And fruit is also so pretty, by the way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you'll be back to chat with us again. And we really appreciate your contribution to the Cranberry Chronicles. Thank you very much, Bonnie. It's been my pleasure. So I hope everyone listening today had as much fun as I did hosting this podcast, and I can't wait for the next one. Uh, stay up to date with the latest episodes of this podcast by subscribing to our show on your favorite podcast platform. And no worries if you were driving and listening to this and you couldn't take notes because you could check out the show notes for further detail. And again, I welcome you to reach out to us at Cranberry Institute. And I'm Bonnie Taub Dix on Instagram at Cranberry Institute on Instagram. You could reach us at Cran Institute on Twitter or go to cranberryinstitute.org. That is our website. So we look forward to hearing from you. Please weigh in on this topic and also let us know what you would like to hear for future episodes because we really try to meet your needs. Sponsored by the Cranberry Institute, it's a not-for-profit organization founded in 1951 to further the success of cranberry growers and the industry in the Americas through health, agricultural, and environmental stewardship research, as well as cranberry promotion and education. Thank you again so much for listening and for sharing your time with us.